Hi, everyone, and welcome once again to our Midweek Bible Study 2022 Fall Edition. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas, and it is my joy and privilege to be with you on this first Wednesday of November, November 2nd. Hey, before I get into the Bible study, don't forget that Daylight Saving Time is happening this weekend, so when you go to sleep Saturday night, don't forget to fall back. You get an extra hour of sleep, otherwise you're going to be late for church on Sunday morning. All right, let's get going. We're continuing in our study of 2 Corinthians. The topic for today is we are God's ambassadors, and the text is going to be 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting with verse 11, all the way to the end of the chapter, that's verse 21. Then we'll transition over to chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Got a lot to tell you today. We'll get to it in just a moment, but right now, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Almighty God, thank you for this incredible journey. We continue to go on through 2 Corinthians. Lord, teach us today what it means to be your ambassadors. In your holy name, and everyone said, Amen. After reminding the Corinthians that everyone will appear before Christ's judgment seat, Paul explained that he had evaluated his own motives and actions in light of this sobering fact. He knew that God saw his motivations. His life was an open book to God. Paul didn't have to prove to God he was sincere, for God already knew it. Paul hoped that the Corinthians would also understand that his actions were motivated by a healthy respect for God, not by greed or any other sinful motivation. Ready to find out more? Then open up your Bible or Bible app to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting with verse 11. We're going all the way to chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Let's find out what's going on. First, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No, we are giving you a reason to be proud of us, so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems we're crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And now, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. 
Well, let's unpack this passage, shall we? All the way back to chapter 5, verse 11, where we started. The verse reads, Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we're sincere, and I hope you know this too. Here's the question. In this verse, Paul shares that fear is part of his motivation to serve the Lord. What does he mean by that? And is there a time when fear could be positive in our walk with the Lord? Paul had a solemn fear for the Lord. Many skip over fear as a motivation for serving God and instead emphasize how love should motivate Christians. But many people forget that fear is not fundamentally bad. Fear keeps people from jumping out of airplanes without a parachute. Fear of God means having a proper respect for his nature and great power. Like Proverbs 1.7 says, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. For those who have persisted in evil and rebellious ways, contemplating God should inspire dread. Their ways have become condemned by God and their path leads ultimately to death. Believers who contemplate God should be filled with a reverent awe, standing in wonder and amazement at his greatness. Knowing God's perfection and that he will judge everyone's actions should spur Christians to, as it said, work hard to persuade others to know God. Paul did this with incredibly great sincerity. Next up, verse 12. It reads, Are we commending ourselves to you again? No, we're giving you a reason to be proud of us, so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. Here's the question. In this verse, Paul contrasts his motivation with that of other preachers who had infiltrated the church in Corinth. What is he saying? Several times so far in our readings, Paul has explicitly denied bragging about himself. Paul knew that if he did such a thing, he would easily fall in the trap of doing exactly what these false preachers were doing, and that was bragging about their own spirituality and accomplishments. Paul's Corinthian critics were more concerned about getting ahead in this world. They were preaching the gospel for money and popularity. As reflected in this verse, they were bragging about having spectacular ministries, eloquent speeches, formal letters of recommendation, and impressive presentations. In contrast, the verse says Paul and his companions were preaching out of a sincere heart before God with concern for eternity and to please the ultimate judge, God himself. The Corinthians had been dazzled by these magnificent and impressive shows. They had been captivated by their astonishing rhetoric. And little by little, though, they had given up striving to find God's perspective. Next is verse 13. It reads, If it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. If we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. The question is, what did Paul mean when he referred to himself and his fellow evangelists as being crazy? Truly, it's not known what Paul meant here. Perhaps the Corinthians had begun to think that Paul had a mental problem. I mean, he welcomed all kinds of trials, difficulties, and sufferings, even listed them, chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. Later, Festus, the governor of Judea, would call Paul mad because of his unquenchable zeal to preach the gospel. Paul had already warned the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians that the gospel and its messengers would appear foolish to the wise of this world. You can go back to 1 Corinthians 2, verses 7 to 16 and see that. If this was the idea that Paul was trying to express, then he was saying 
And he was acting like a fool because of his zeal, his excitement for God and the gospel. Although Paul did not clarify his meaning, his point should have been really clear. Paul's actions were not motivated by self-interest or a quest for power. Everything he did, whether crazy or in right mind, was to, as we just read, bring glory to God and to benefit the Corinthian believers. Next, let's look at verses 14 and 15. They read, Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. Here's the question. Everything that Paul and his companions did was to honor God. Not only were they motivated by the fear of God, but by something else. Something else controlled their actions. What was it? And why is the message in these verses important for us as well? In verse 14, take a look at that. It says that Christ's love controlled their actions. So out of his great love, Jesus had given up his life for their sakes. He had not acted on his own self-interest, selfishly holding on to the glory of heaven that he already possessed. Instead, as it says in verse 15, Jesus had willingly died for everyone. Those who believe that also believe that they have died to their old life. They should be willing to abandon their old selfish ways in order to live a new life for Christ. Just like Paul, we should no longer live to please ourselves. I know that's hard, but we have the Lord in his spirit. There's no reason why we can't. A conscious decision that we should live no longer pleasing ourselves. We should die to ourselves and live for Christ who is alive today and interceding with God on our behalf. Romans 6.22. Let's look at verses 16 and 17. They read, So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. Here's the question. In these verses, we can see that Paul's perspective about Jesus changed. What changed? And how is this encouraging for us today? You know, at one point in time, Paul had evaluated Jesus by what the world thought about him. As an educated Jew, Paul was looking forward to the Messiah. But the Jews of his time were looking for a political Messiah, a powerful person who would free them from Roman rule. Instead, Jesus had died, even suffering the Romans' most cruel punishment, crucifixion. According to human standards, Jesus was merely a human being, an insignificant man who died like a criminal. But that changed at Paul's encounter with the risen Christ on the Damascus Road. I'd encourage you to read Acts 9 verses 1 to 15 for the account. In the same way, believers are changed when they meet Christ. Christians are new people. The Holy Spirit gives them new life, and they're not the same anymore. Christians are not reformed, rehabilitated, or re-educated. They are, listen to me, recreated. Amen. At conversion, believers are not merely turning over a new leaf. They're beginning a new life under a new master. The old life of sin and death has gone. The selfish, sinful human nature has been dealt a death blow. Old ways of thinking, old distinctions have been abolished. And in its place, as it says in the verse, a new life has begun. Thank you, Lord, for that. Next up, verses 18 and 19. Let's read together. 
And all of this is a gift from God, who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Here's the question. Is this newness of life due to human effort? And if not, then by whose effort is it? And what does it mean to be reconciled to God? This newness of life clearly is not a human effort. God himself has begun that work. Only God can allow people to approach him. Only God can satisfy his own righteous demands. Only God can save. God is the author and finisher of salvation, Hebrews 12.2. As it says in verse 18, God brought us back to himself through Christ. When they trust in Christ, believers are no longer God's enemies. Through Christ's self-sacrifice on the cross, God has made believers part of his family. Jesus died in our place, yours and my place, so that we might enjoy fellowship with him. That's what it means to be reconciled to God. And as believers, we've been given the task of reconciling other people to him. Since Paul experienced reconciliation through Christ, it became his mission to preach that message. Just in case the Corinthians had forgotten the heart of Paul's message, he repeated it in verse 19. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. God, through Christ's death on the cross, was bringing back all people, Jews and Gentiles alike, who had fallen. Although we were enemies of God, Christ reached out to us, saving us from certain destruction. He even washed us in order that we might approach God with clean hearts. That, indeed, beloved, is a wonderful message. Let's finish out chapter 5, looking at verses 20 and 21. They read, So we are Christ's ambassadors. There it is, the title of our study today. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Here's the question. What is an ambassador, and what does it mean to be an ambassador for Christ? Ambassadors are official representatives of one country to another. In verse 20, Paul described himself and his co-workers as Christ's ambassadors. That means they represent Christ to the world. God was using them to remind the Corinthians that they were reconciled to God, that they needed to accept God's free gift of reconciliation. And Paul didn't announce this message half-heartedly. No, he implored them, which means he urged them, he pleaded with them that everyone who listened to him accept God's free gift of salvation. It was extremely urgent, for it would change their eternal destiny. And it was a gift that had an expensive price tag, Verse 21 says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Folks, in other words, Christ bore the consequences of, or punishment for, our sins. God made Jesus, who was completely innocent and perfect, to take on our sin, so he could take it away. I'd like to note a couple of thoughts that I wrote down based on this question and answer and this whole scripture passage. I hope you'll find them helpful. You know, in life, rarely will anybody claim perfection. Sin is a part of life, so much so that many people expect to encounter dishonesty, self-centeredness, and greed in other people. And if they don't, 
they're really surprised. That's why many people in Jesus' day expressed surprise at Jesus' life. They could not find anything wrong with him. The disciples, Jesus' closest friends and followers, didn't even find any evil in his actions. Jesus never knew what it was like to sin. He had always followed God's ways. Yet Jesus bore the consequences of our sin, of all believers' sin for their sakes. Since Jesus, who was perfect and innocent, took on the penalty of sin, death itself, Jesus can make those who believe in him right with God. His perfect righteousness can cover our corrupt and imperfect lives. When people trust in Christ, they make an exchange, their sin for his righteousness. Believers' sin was placed on Jesus at his crucifixion. His righteousness was given to believers at their conversion. And now, here are the final two verses for today. Let's move over to chapter 6, 2 Corinthians 6, and we'll look at verses 1 and 2. They read, As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says, At just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. And the final question is, Paul completes this section of scripture by strongly urging the Corinthians to do something. What did he ask them to do and why? Paul begged the Corinthians not to reject or ignore the message of salvation. He said they should take God's grace seriously and live up to the gospel's demands. Paul was imploring the Corinthians who had already accepted Jesus to live up to their profession of faith. The prophet Isaiah predicted a time of God's own choosing when he would save his people. God would release them from bondage and clear a path for them to return to their land and restore their families. God would do all of this so that the whole world would know that he was Israel's savior and redeemer. The Hebrews, who had heard Isaiah's message long ago, would have understood this is a prediction that God would one day bring the Israelites back out of their exile in Babylon. And in fact, it happened. But Paul understood Isaiah's prediction as also being fulfilled in his day. God had sent Jesus to earth. It was the day of salvation, so Paul, being God's messenger just as Isaiah was, echoed Isaiah's message with even more urgency. Paul announced that what Isaiah was looking forward to already happened. God offers salvation to all people, my friends. Many people, they put off making that decision to receive God's salvation, thinking there's going to be a better time. Oh, I can't do it now, or I'm not up to it now, or I got to find out more. But by doing that, they could easily miss their opportunity altogether. Paul closes out this section in verse 2 by saying, Today is the day of salvation. Indeed, it is. And there's no time like the present to receive God's forgiveness. Beloved, don't let anything hold you back from coming to Christ. Well, we have reached the end of today's study. We've been talking about being ambassadors for Christ. I hope that this has helped you understand what our role is as believers and how we represent Christ to the world. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you've been challenged by it as well. Next time, we'll be studying 2 Corinthians 6. We'll pick up with verse 3 through verse 13, and we'll be talking about Paul's hardships. Thanks again for being with me today. It's been my joy to share with you. Have an amazing rest of your day and week. I'll see you right back here next time.
Until then, God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.